Hello, and welcome back to In Person, brought to you by Bizabo. In case we haven't already met, I'm Rachel Rappaport, and in each episode of In Person, we explore the world's most daring events and the people who make them happen. Today, we're chatting with Kiana Koshvi, the Global Director of Experiential and Content Production at Spotify. You might be listening to this very podcast on their platform. Spotify is the most popular global audio streaming service with over 356 million users as of March 31st, 2021. Kiana brings Spotify's brand to life through events and experiences across the globe. She spearheads production for Spotify's largest executions at industry events such as Can Lions and other global tent poles, as well as major owned events like Stream On. Kiana has spent her career in event production with a focus on media and entertainment brands, executing both B2B and B2C activations. Prior to joining Spotify, she served as a producer and led production and video content teams for organizations such as NBC, Vivo, Discovery Communications, and CNN. In this episode, we take a look at how Kiana and her team at Spotify imagined and then produced Stream On, a virtual event that explored the power of audio creation. We talk about the changing event team structure and unique skill sets needed for the hybrid future of events. Finally, we dive into the power of audio and how you can lean into audio as part of your event strategy. Let's get to it. Here's Kiana Koshvi and our host, Brandon Raffleson. Kiana, welcome to In Person. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, before Spotify, you worked in PR, you worked in consumer marketing and integrated marketing at organizations that some folks might have heard of, like CNN and Discovery Communications and Vivo. Could you walk us through the steps of your career and how they ultimately led to where you are today? Yeah. So from my very early days, even in university in Montreal, because I'm a very proud Canadian, I was always part of teams or putting on events or producing things. So it's kind of been something I've always done. And I really just love anything having to do with pop culture and entertainment. I like was one of those kids who like grew up on television as an immigrant child too. My mother perfected her English watching daytime TV. So that was always part of my life and my world. When I saw things on TV or on, on the news, I wanted to be part of that vehicle that made things happen. That was part of the water cooler talk that made magic happen, made the unbelievable happen. That was always something that was important to me. I never envisioned myself kind of being at a desk all day or writing papers or being a researcher. Not that there isn't millions of other industries to be in, but that wasn't in my mind what I was going to do. So I really wanted to be in something that made an impact on the day-to-day lives of people. So in undergrad, as I said, I was involved in productions for concerts and tours and political speaking engagements for the university demographic. And then when I was producing those events, I also was promoting those events. And I really thought I wanted to be in PR and that's what I wanted to do. But when I actually moved to New York, when I got into grad school and got a job at CNN, I was in the PR department and I really quickly realized I actually was really bad at it because I hate writing and I don't love pitching. And I kind of realized that the hustle and making the thing happen that people talk about is more my passion versus talking about the thing or promoting the thing. So even when I was in that PR department, I saw a gap in a gray space of being able to be the person who produced the events that were PR related. And so, for example, I think the first event I ever did 
in New York and it ever produced in New York as quite a young buck was Soledad O'Brien's book launch. And I think it took place in Russell Simmons apartment. So that was like a very <laughs> cool, like to be a new cool New York experience and story. And it was all vegan. The catering was all vegan. That was important. And then it was very cool to like be part of that mix. And then while I was in the, that department, I uh, kind of became the go-to person to kind of produce those things and be a part of some of the bigger initiatives CNNs were doing as kind of like a PA type role. And I loved it. I love that hustle. I love that busyness. I love the weird hours. I love never having to be in one place too long. I love not sitting behind a desk all day. So that really showed to me that that's the type of work I wanted to be doing. And then I moved to Discovery Communications. And that was really cool because I got to produce different things for all the different networks. So sometimes it was brand activating for a client, being part of the integrated marketing team. Sometimes that was you know producing their upfronts. Sometimes that was working on B2C executions. I have a lot of love for Shark Week and good memories of that. But I got to really <laughs> learn a lot. I was, was going to ask, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course, like iconic, still iconic. But I really got to see what different audiences responded to. I also met one of my heroes there, Oprah Winfrey, when she was watching the O Network. So that is, to this day, one of the coolest things I think I've ever done, maybe. But no matter where I was and what department or what company I was at, I was always on the production team or leading a production or on the content teams. I think a lot of my colleagues that are in-house producers have had this history of like strange titles or strange teams because you kind of sit almost everywhere when you're in production. But I was the arm, the production arm of whatever team I was in. So that was really cool. And that's kind of always been the thing I've done and loved my entire career. It's so interesting. There definitely is a pretty clear through line, or at least there's a certain affinity, I guess, between like PR and events that they're both very much support roles. They're very much behind the scenes making it happen. It'd be a very interesting podcast just to bring on PR folks to talk about. I mean, yeah, they are, they're truly our partners in storytelling, right? So like a lot of events and content is telling a brand story and most companies, their PR teams, I know, you know, they're telling our story. They're kind of putting that out there. So it's really an organic marriage between the two. You got this experience over at CNN and over at Discovery, you know, eventually you started to enter into the world of music and entertainment with uh, Vivo a bit more. Yeah, so Vivo is really where I cut my teeth on music and concert production and, you know, had a really global role there, which was really exciting. I really started working with artists, bringing their creative to life in events or in content. So that became my foray into more content production as well as music production. And honestly, every great event had a performance in it. So in my previous role, I had dabbled in it, but that was where I really started really working very closely with artists and kind of trying to make sure that the environment we put them on in the stages we put them on was organic to them, looked and felt like them and really brought to life what the message and the music that they wanted to bring to life. So I love that. And then after that, I moved across the country for an opportunity at NBC. And that was really exciting. I was yet another Persian girl in LA. So that was interesting. And that was fun. And I'm a terrible driver. So that was some life risking moments there. And I went back into broadcast, kind of tipped my hat back to my old discovery days. And then Spotify called and said, time back to come back to the East Coast and, and do this. <laughs> so I've been here since. <laughs> and you've been doing some pretty cool things. I guess one of the main things that we're going to talk about today is Stream On, which was this huge virtual event that explores the power of audio, the journey of creation, and the opportunities ahead for millions of creators and billions, yes, billions of Spotify fans around the world, music fans around the world. I'm reading this here, and it's kind of just staggering that as of February 24th, so I'm sure that this is 
changed pretty significantly since, but the event garnered almost 200,000 views on YouTube and over 108,000 mentions across Twitter. That's just huge, huge splash. So to back up, could you tell us a little bit about the impetus for Stream On and what were some of the outcomes that the Spotify team was looking to drive with it? I'm very impressed with the numbers we got. It makes me really excited to see that because it was really first of its kind for Spotify. So Daniel Eck, our founder and CEO, he has said this in the past, and he said it again recently on our For the Record podcast, that the opportunity in audio is massive and much bigger than I think anyone can imagine. And I think even during Stream On, he mentioned that audio is really having a renaissance. So we wanted to make sure that we were telling our story in our way. And this event gave us that opportunity to share why millions of creators and hundreds of millions of consumers should really be excited about the opportunities in audio and what's ahead in audio and audio streaming. And I think you can think of this event, you can think of Stream On as our invitation to join us on this journey as we all together realize what the power of this medium is and the possibilities it represents. And continue to be laser focused on our mission, which is to unlock the potential of human creativity by giving a million creative artists the opportunity to live off their art and like a billion fans the opportunity to enjoy and be inspired by it when we were speaking to the audience and when we kind of want to put our message out there. But remaining authentic to Spotify down to our look and feel was really, really important when we were in development to produce this. And we wanted to make sure that we were inviting people on their journey and in a conversation with us and not, you might see more traditionally in some corporate announcements speaking at people. So that was really, really the kind of idea or goal of this. And then we will kind of, after that, set out to how we were going to do that. Yeah, it totally is an audio renaissance. I personally have been listening to more like podcast and music. Yeah often on Spotify, I mean, yeah, uh, <laughs> more than ever before. I know that speaking to my colleagues, just like, you know, in the general marketing space, everybody is turning to podcast. It's just another channel for engaging with their audiences. And the other side of that is, I think even when it comes to events and conversations with other event professionals out there, something that comes up is in addition to offering that video content, also offering potentially an audio option. So totally resonates with me, this audio renaissance that we're in. Totally. And it's really accessible. It's like the earliest form of entertainment in my mind. And I think that's why during and through Stream On, we wanted to make sure that we made clear that it's not going anywhere. It's only getting bigger and it's an exciting space. And, you know, we want to, of course, establish Spotify as like the platform for audio creators and we were inspired by some other brands and platforms curating, you know, their own storytelling moments. But what is a very accessible and relatable medium, how do we also talk about it and present our story behind it in a very relatable and accessible way? Yeah. And the way that you did this, I know in our previous conversation, you almost likened it to a long form film. Could you tell us a little bit more about the ideation process behind the design of this experience? And, you know, how you and your team introduce these different stories, these different thematic set pieces and these other elements all to really serve to tie this narrative together. I would say we definitely, in my mind, approached it like a long form film, like you're saying. And we really did go into development thinking through, of course, the story and what we wanted to say, because like any good piece of content or storytelling forum, having a really strong narrative is of the utmost importance. It could be really pretty, but if you're not saying much, what does it matter? So that's of course the utmost importance, but 
We also wanted to make it in this year of Zoom fatigue and everyone's watching things all the time and in front of screens all the time, appealing both to the eyes and, of course, appealing to the ears. And how we were going to really bring this multi-sensory storytelling moment to life that differentiates us from other brands. And again, speaks to folks and looks and feels like Spotify. So every element we analyzed and thought about when we were in development, we thought through cameras we're using, the lighting, what mood they're setting. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. Locations. What are the locations we're in saying about us? The graphics. Are they to animate or are they not to animate? We don't want to distract the viewer. How are we going to bring that to life? Sound effects, sound design, down to the smallest detail you can think of. We analyzed and we wanted to bring the right players and ensure the right partners were in place to bring those elements to life the Spotify way and to set a new standard. And then layer on top of that, all the COVID requirements and considerations that we wanted to make sure we kept at the forefront of our minds because everyone's safety was number one as we went through this. But thinking through things like cameras and lighting. So what we talked a lot about, what cameras we want to use and what kind of cues we want those visual moments and the environments we put our creators in to say to the viewer, right? So when we thought about lighting, we thought about how are we going to set the mood with lighting to ensure that it is in a warm and inviting environment, that you felt like you were part of the conversation and people weren't speaking at you. We thought about some ways to bring this to life with a cinematic style. So we also landed on really trying to translate this authentic warmth, this relatable feeling when you're watching something kind of, again, being a part of it. And so I landed on using Ari Alexas, which is a camera type we use, which affords you a greater range of lenses and depth when you're shooting something. And we shot in 23.98, if I recall correctly, frames, which gives you like that cinematic movie feel. So when you watch it, it feels a little bit more like a film. It feels a little bit deeper. Those cameras also afford you a higher image quality. Again, my big thing, and I think leadership's big thing, was it needed to look and feel like Spotify. It was not a corporate keynote. It wasn't talking at people. So the angles we use when we use the camera to drive this point home subtly was really important, too. So we also wanted to make sure that we created a consistent visual language, no matter where or what we were saying. So we shot in Stockholm and in New York and LA, but that visual grammar, that visual language really needed to remain consistent to make sure the viewer didn't feel jarred or jolted when we were taking them from one environment to another. And we did a lot of establishing this consistent visual grammar by our sets, of course, our color palette that we use, our lighting, but also a consistency of movement of the camera. So we used really smooth movements, really intimate camera work. If you saw, we, you felt up close and personal to our, um, in an appropriate way, <laughs> to, our, to our speakers. So we used really stabilized rigs. You know, we really had a juxtaposition of the eye line between passive and direct information. So when the viewer was being spoken to and given direct information, they were kind of really looking down the lens and speaking to you, or there was graphics to support what they were saying. And whereas when they were given passive information, we conveyed that through using a more documented documentary style, verite style of shooting where one felt like they were looking in on a moment. And this is different than what a lot of other companies are doing when they're kind of releasing information into the world. And again, all of this goes back to that really big goal of making sure it looked and felt like Spotify and it felt like a conversation with the viewer. And, you know, we also wanted to make sure that we told our global story. So really thought through what our locations are. We considered everything. Do we bring people to a soundstage and is it a green screen backdrop or is it XR? But we didn't feel like that was really authentic to 
the feeling that we wanted to articulate visually. So we chose actual locations, actual venues, and we wanted to use that formula, a formula that was consistent. All the locations you see our executive and leadership in are in music or recording related environments, places that you can really see creativity happening, music being listened to, music being recorded. That was really important. A little tip of our hat to kind of the core to what makes us Spotify. We also, again, like I was mentioning, we want to tell a global story and get you from place to place in a consistent and seamless way. So Spotify is global and we're everywhere. We have offices in many parts of the world. Our users are everywhere. Our creators are everywhere. So we also wanted to communicate that visually. Unlike some other tech companies, we don't have one massive campus. We really are everywhere. So we brought that to life using a lot of aerial photography and graphic treatments. When you may have seen our executive or leadership speaking in Stockholm, and then we travel through the set piece that we introduced, we call the portal. The and portal. we travel through that. Yeah, the portal, which was, we'll talk about that too. The portal, you travel through the portal and you flew over the world and you then ended up back in New York. And then, you know, you zoomed out of the portal and kind of reoriented yourself to the next speaker or the next conversation. And that was our way to kind of, as we flew, over that world, you saw different hues of Spotify green light up in people's homes to like remind the viewer and kind of express our global reach and how we really are in the homes of all of our users and creators. Because we we span the globe truly. Um, so <laughs> that portal and our venue locations really was our anchor. It was that consistent set piece that really reoriented the viewer that the show was one consistent show. And we also used it as a way to focus them when we wanted to express information. So you saw some data sometimes popped up there when we were having a direct to viewer moment. And we also used it again, like our moment of transition to make sure it wasn't jolting and it wasn't just a fade out. It was truly an experience. This is staggering. I'm like almost overwhelmed with the potential levers there are to pull to really shape an experience hearing how you and your team approached it. But on the other hand, it's like super exciting to think about how we can get really granular with the cameras we're using, the lenses we're using. And you know, this is for in-person, but also virtual. And, and as we think about amplifying in-person events to a virtual audience, it seems like <laughs> there is some growth potential to be even more deliberate about all of these different elements that you're talking about as we step into whatever comes next. Yeah. And I think it's also an opportunity, again, to just show your brand look and feel and your creativity, right? We could do things everyone's doing, but how does that tell our story or feel like us, even subtly? And I love the portal. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. It's one of those things you do and you're like, it could be great or people <laughs> might not get it. Let's hope they get it. So I'm glad people liked it. <laughs> and it was consistent. You like had it in all these different locations. Yes, we had it in all of our main speaker locations. We had it. We also, the lovely Justin Bieber liked, liked the idea as well. And he used it in his music performances as a transition to get from song to song. So it was a really great anchoring and transition piece. And we made it really clear to the viewer that we cared that all of these pieces were produced for this moment and the show. It wasn't, we took an executive speech that was shot a year ago and, and cut it into this thing. We produced this, we handpicked this location and this set, we art directed it for this moment, because we have something really important we wanted to say to our creators and our audience. And we wanted to say it in a way that was visually also as powerful as what we were trying to say audibly. It is an Orson Welles level of production, truly <laughs> impressive. So the event was filmed in several different locations across the world, including sets in New York City, Los Angeles, Stockholm, and also several different locations across Africa. So 
what were some of the considerations that you and your team kept in mind from a logistical perspective when like coordinating and creating this globe spanning production? The biggest and the most important thing was first understanding what the local rules and regulations were of each city that we wanted to shoot in. And then establishing what the Spotify protocol was to take that one step further and ensure that the safety of our crew and our talent was the most important thing. And the funny part was, as we were producing this week to week, the protocol per city may change. So it was a lot of planning and replanning and replanning and reanalyzing what we are about to go into to make sure that we were the most up to date about what we were doing and being as compliant as possible. We also wanted to make sure that we were being culturally sensitive for the regions we were going into. So as we all know, not all protocol is the same, especially across the globe. There's differences even in New York and LA. So understanding what those were, ensuring that we were respectful about those, and then if we needed to add in extra layers that they weren't calling for, just as a precaution, that we had the resources to do that. And of course, we couldn't be everywhere. Our main locations were New York, LA, and Stockholm. And then we partnered with a lot of great filmmakers and local crews in other continents and other markets around the world to shoot and shoot in a safe way. So we weren't traveling people around the world. We were traveling people as as minimally as possible. It is a lot of logistics to sort of wrap your mind around. Just hearing you talk about like the way that you and your team were putting together these different protocols reminds me of a conversation I recently had with Joey Graziano from the NBA and the way that he and his team had to construct the bubble. Similarly, you know, as regulations are constantly shifting and there's new information surfacing, vaccinations and whatnot, like how do you approach it? It's definitely no small feat. I will say to anyone listening out there that is planning for budgets, there's always this like COVID tax we need to keep in mind nowadays, right? For things that we weren't accounting for before, for longer load-in periods, given that you want to have smaller amounts of people in the room at one time, for things like having to swap out entire departments that might be working on something, just preparing for those contingencies is going to be important, I think, now and for a little while to come. Yeah, that is a super great point, especially as more and more event teams begin to reintroduce in-person into their mix. And even, frankly, as they continue to produce virtual events. Totally, yeah. So Spotify, I mean, you, you mentioned this event was very much, among other things, about highlighting many of the creators that make up the Spotify community. And of course, this was front and center. You had interviews with podcasters and performance from musical guests like Justin Bieber, Justin Bieber, who was a fan of The Portal. Uh, could you share with us a little bit more about like how you and your team collaborated with this creator community? Having the privilege of like really speaking to the creators and using them as storytellers and hearing their story about how Spotify impacted them and what their Spotify journey was, was really interesting to hear. They all said it firsthand much better than I can, but hearing from them what the power of audio means to them and their ability to bring their music to their fans was really powerful to see, especially this year that in real life performances hasn't been able to happen. Many people have still been able to be creative and put out new music and their fans have been able to really enjoy it and interact that way. So I think that was huge. Speaking about Bieber specifically, it was really exciting to work with him and his creative team to bring the creative he wanted to to life, a kind of the genesis of the idea and then working through concepting and that creative and then actually using an XR stage to bring that to life and bridging his performances to make sure that one song, I think, really was still shot in the style that we shot our executives and it had like a real background and a real room. And then we moved to an XR for the other two songs that were really just his brainchild that we had the pleasure of working with along beside his creative team to bring to life and kind of do really fun and different things. But 
making sure we involve creators in the conversation and kind of trying to help them on their journey and having them use Spotify as a tool to kind of reach others is is huge. And hearing their journey and their connection to their audience via their music was a pleasure to see and hear, even off camera when we heard anecdotal stories. Speaking of stream on, this was one huge virtual event, but I know, you know, there are other different engagements that you and your team are working on and have worked on. Interested to hear your thoughts about just generally how you and your event team over this past year have sort of collaborated to produce experiences in these novel mediums. It's been a little bit like being in a weird social experiment. So I think if people know what producers are like and what they do, we plan for a living. We plan all the outcomes. We think about all the things that could go wrong. We plan for a living and none of us could produce our way out of COVID and the pandemic and what it could mean and what would happen. So that was an interesting journey to see a lot of producers go on where, you know, you know what the next week usually holds and no one knew what the next week would hold day to day. Also taking production away from producers is a weird social experiment. People who are used to being on the road, on set, on site, running around, not being in one place for too long, were immediately grounded with no warning was really jolting. So there was a weird time at the beginning of like, what's going to happen? Is this long-term? How do we figure this out? How do we keep innovating and being creative? So my team kind of went through that transition and we went from also having to work harder to be connected because typically we'd be on the road together and anyone who's in production knows what it's like. Like you're in the trenches, even if everything is going wrong, at least you have each other and you go out to celebrate after and you talk about it and you hash it out and then you have those bonding moments. So we not only had to like be more conscious and myself as a leader, make sure I prioritize getting together, connecting as a team. We're a global team. We've never felt the space between us as much as we have this past year because typically we'd be traveling and seeing each other or you know meeting up on set. So that was really important. But then also we took this time to, I used my background and knowledge about content production to kind of educate my experiential producers on that and what that means and what that looks like and how to produce remotely and how to produce with cameras and not plan for an audience and like layer in new skill sets that will just kind of hopefully make them more well-rounded producers as they carry on their careers. Yeah, no, that kind of gets to another question I had for you, which is how have those skill sets sort of changed for your, your teams and the teams you're working with? And I guess part two of that would be, do you anticipate the skill sets will like continue to change and evolve as we go throughout 2021 and into 2022? Kind of being forced to being also content producers is adding a new layer of skill set. I mean, having them understand the more technical side of production, I think, was really an opportunity for this year and important because now they will not only be able to understand what it takes to do something on site for an audience that might be in person, but what is that extension? So answering part two of that question, I think there is going to be extensions or expected virtual extensions of live events for a little while to come. So understanding what that looks like, what that requires, and understanding how to also produce the content side of that. So we might be going back to producing in real life events soon, hopefully, but also how are we capturing something on the ground to then push out to those who are not traveling yet or don't feel comfortable or unable to travel yet and kind of being able to scale your physical event that way. I think it also helped them understand 
how to produce a better experience to access the content. So what is the journey? We all hated those things that early pandemic, I think we were all invited to, and you have to download this and download that and have this (laughs) password. It's like, it's still a client or a consumer or, you know, an audience experience to get to your content. So that is also like a new added layer of thought and planning that the team had to consider when producing the actual piece of content. How are we getting people there? And is that journey seamless and enjoyable as well? So speaking of how you and your team are engaging the audiences that you're speaking to, what have been some other considerations that have come into mind, specifically like related to audio during this virtual period? I think we were lucky in some ways with Spotify as our core, our business is audio and audio first. And that was always really powerful before the pandemic and has continue to grow during the pandemic. But I think also thinking through kind of next steps about how we could further engage creators and consumers on the platform could be really interesting. And I think some really fun acquisitions like Locker Room, soon to be Green Room, will kind of take that to the next level where there could be engagement and other exciting things that haven't happened on the platform to date. Speaking of, I know that at StreamOn, you also announced a couple of opportunities for brands to get more involved with audio-only content. Could you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, there's some amazing tools that brands can use on Spotify. For example, the Spotify Audience Network. It's a tool where brands of all sizes can really connect to listeners and a broad range of content across Spotify originals and exclusive. And this tool offers them the ability to really reach and engage audiences in screenless moments at scale on and off Spotify, actually. And they leverage easy-to-use targeting tools for the brand so they can reach the audiences that matter most to them. And even allow them to explore the advanced insights powered by the streaming ad insertion. So they really know who they're reaching and if it's working and if it's being effective. I also think there's also really big moments where brands can get involved. I know, you know, a little bit about Renegade, Born in the USA, a podcast that features the amazing former president, Barack Obama, and Bruce Springsteen in conversation. They are some of the coolest dudes on earth, I think, and (laughs) and hilarious on that podcast too. And they really talk about issues ranging from every issue you can think of and what means them and is really authentic to who they are. And brands have gotten involved in that. I think the first season was sponsored by Dollar Shave Club and Comcast in the US. And so that was a really big way for two brands to get involved. Any other predictions for the role that audio will play in the future of events? I think audio has always been really powerful and I think it's only getting stronger Folks have always needed a soundtrack to your life. You need a soundtrack to celebrate. You need music to reflect, to mourn. Anytime people gather, audio is part of it. That goes from listening to a great speaker. You need great audio to do that. Great performance, a show that you're bringing folks together. And I think that's not going to change. I think that just like food and sports, music and audio is the great unifier. So I think people really need to think through how they can leverage audio to take their event to the next level. As far as future of events, I think people need to remember that really great audio can really elevate the experience that you are putting together, even virtually. So just like smell, music can really tap into a level of emotion and memory for your audience that very few other things can, right? So I think about audio and audio design and done well, and people should keep this in the forefront of their mind as they are producing events, because done well, it can bring the brand closer to people's hearts. It has a way of tugging at heartstrings. If you could tap into someone's emotion or memory that means something to them, that again, not much else can. And they will then forever remember that moment and that experience when they hear that song again, or when they hear that tune again, moving forward. 
keeping that in mind will help folks use music or audio or amazing sound design to differentiate their experiences. And you can even do that when you're doing something virtually. And really bad sound design or bad audio can really ruin something. <laughs> so, so don't let that happen to you. And I also think it's an easy thing to have as a keepsake, sending an amazing playlist from an event you put on to the folks that attended that they can spin up when they want to go back to that moment. It's something really easy to do and that will really take them back to that time that you spent with them or they spent at your brand's event. Well, speaking of, what are you currently listening to on Spotify? Oh, you're going to out me on this. Yeah. So I don't consider myself very cool. I consider myself very uncool. And my team would tell you that that's probably true. So I like to keep a pulse on things of what's happening in the world now in music. So I do frequent Spotify's Today's Top Hits playlist a lot just to know what's going on and what I need to know about. I also have a small puppy. We lovingly call him like a a COVID baby because we adopted him in March. And Spotify has pet playlists. So when we're trying to calm him down or put him to sleep, (laughs) his pet playlist comes on. And his go-to is classical music because I heard it makes them smarter and it calms them down. So that's that. And also, (laughs) your listeners might know this by now, but I speak pretty quickly. I move pretty quickly. I need to know what's going on pretty quickly. So NPR's News Now is always at the top of the list because it gives me that quick what's going on in the world and then I can keep moving on with my day. So those are my kind of go-tos if you were to look at my (laughs) Spotify profile right now. I need to go get a playlist for my cats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who's someone you look up to in events, marketing, or business in general? So this is a really tough question and it's hard to pinpoint just one, but I think like a lady of my age, growing up watching women and women of color who specifically made waves or made changes in their fields or who I admire most. So I have my forever heroes like Oprah and people who aren't afraid to say something unpopular or do something that's never been done before are really people who I look up to. So I have Oprah in that category. I have RBG in that category, of course. Someone I recently find really inspiring is is Chloe Zhao, um, the first woman who won Best Director. So people who are leading the change in their industries and industries especially centered in entertainment or production, I think are really, really folks I like to keep an eye on and root for. People who are making space for other women because production is still a very male-dominated industry and, you know, leading crews and teams of men, especially coming up as a young producer, was always a really interesting challenge to navigate. But watching those leaders and those women kind of be who they are and own who they are really has inspired me to kind of do the same and bring myself to set and to work as who I am and try to make space and kind of lead the way for other women to follow. That's amazing. And that makes me want to edit what I said earlier about the Orson Welles of production. You are the Chloe Zhao of production. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Both of those two things are very too flattering for me, but thank you. If you could give an earlier version of yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? I think I would say to a younger version of me, if I could could go back in time, which, yeah, I think make time for life in production too. It could take over. You're traveling a lot. You're away a lot. You're on set a lot. So you kind of miss out on a lot of normal life things. So I think if there's a way, if you can because it's always really hard to say no to that next challenge or that next gig, especially if you're freelancing, try to make sure you're making some time for like the real life stuff and personal life things and goals. And that doesn't need to be traditional things, but anything that is important to you that you maybe don't want to miss out on, try to prioritize it. Cause I think things happen so quickly and people are so busy and traveling so much in our industry that years zip by and you just don't know what happened to them. And then never assume where a journey is going to take you. I mean, I think like I didn't expect to only live in LA for under a year when I went over there for NBC, but I said yes to that journey and that led me to something else, which led me back to the East Coast. And 
say yes to things that seem interesting that, you know, all your other friends may would never say yes to go for it. If that's something that at the time thinks is right for you and do it and don't be bummed out if it doesn't work or it ends pretty quickly because you just never know what it's going to lead. Love it. Final question for you, Kiana, is how can our listeners keep up with Spotify and all the great work that you and your team are doing? We have an amazing Spotify newsroom called For the Record. So definitely check that out. They do a great job of making sure that everything that Spotify is up to around the world is up to date there. And our Spotify socials are always really fun and beautifully visually beautiful to watch too. So those would be the two places I'd say. Boom. Check it out. For the record, Spotify socials. Kiana, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Kiana for joining us and thank you all for listening. If you enjoy listening to In Person, there are several ways that you can show your support. Subscribe, rate, leave us a review and share the show with your colleagues and friends. If you'd like to share your feedback, drop us a line at in-person at bisbo.com. You can also find full transcripts of the show along with key takeaways at inpersonpodcast.com. In Person is a production of Visibo. Today's episode was hosted by Brandon Raffleson, co-produced by Brandon and myself, and edited by Brian Peak. Music by Ian O'Hara. Until next time, I'm Rachel Rappaport. Thanks for tuning in.